is the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. It's a story that spans 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. And at this point in the story, Joseph was 17 years old. He was, he was surrounded by jealous brothers. He was a favored son of his father. It's why he got the, the multicolored coat. His father loved him so much. And his brothers were incredibly jealous of him. They looked at him and they said, well, why? What's special about Joseph? And then he began to tell these dreams and he told them about his dreams. And, and it just made his brothers incredibly, incredibly jealous of him. And they said, somehow, somehow we're going to get him. And I mean, this is, it, it, it's interesting when we read this, because as you look at it, you kind of look at this and you say, they plotted to kill him. Like, what, what brings these people to a place where they look at this brother of theirs, who, yeah, he might have been the favorite of his dad. We see that in the story. He, he had dreams that he told, but to kill him? It, it just seems incredibly excessive. But what I think it does... Think a couple things. It points us back to a time when the world was incredibly brutal. When it's almost like you look and you think, it's almost as if it wasn't even a thought. Well, yeah, we'll just kill him. Today, you kind of go, that just seems crazy, right? But I think at the same time, the essence there is that it's showing us what is at the reality, what's inside the human heart. That we might look at them and say, I can't believe they plotted to kill their brother. Like, this is where they're at, but if we lean a little bit towards that, we're going to realize some of that is in our hearts. Jealousy and greed, looking at someone and saying, why do they get favored? Why don't I? So let's, let's see what happens here, because I, I think this is an incredible story. So after thir- uh, um, he's 17 years old, and, and here's what happens. So, so Joseph is, is told by his brothers, they said, we're, let's plot to kill him. They don't end up killing him. The story tells us that they sell him into slavery. It's 17, right? Sold into slavery at 17 years old. For 13 years of his life now, he lives as a slave in Egypt. He had this incredible future in front of him. He had a future he believed. He had a father who, who, who supported and encouraged him. And then he has to trade that. He's forced to trade that because his brother sold him to slavery. He's forced to trade that for something completely different. He's forced to be a slave. His dreams are over. His future is no more. It's just gone. Sometimes you wonder, was it worse what they did to him? They don't just kill him. They steal his entire future from him. Now, it's interesting because the brother's belief was that they had gotten rid of him, that he's just gone. He's in Egypt, nothing's going to happen, whatever, it's all over, the story ends. But then something takes place. Joseph begins to become favored within the Egyptian political system. And Pharaoh takes this young man, and the story is fascinating. Again, 13 chapters, so I'm trying to get us through quickly as I can. Pharaoh looks and says, you know what? Here's what I want, Joseph. You have shown to be an incredible person. I'm going to put you in charge. And he puts Joseph in charge of everything. So Joseph, who's sold into slavery by his brothers, gets into Egypt, is just a slave, All of a sudden, he is now in charge of everything. He's in charge of the grain. He's in charge of what they do. and It's an an incredible story of this rags-to-riches kind of thing taking place. And the story seems like, well, it should just end there, right? That'd be a really good story. Hey, this guy, he was sold into slavery. Eventually, the pharaoh says, hey, you know what? You should be in power. 
and the story could end with just him in power. But then a famine happens. And this famine is widespread. It affects the entire ancient Near East. And so everybody's going, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? How are we going to live? Well, the Egyptians, under Joseph, had collected all of this grain. They are now in a position where everybody's going to have to come to them for survival. And in all the sweet irony of ironies, Joseph's brothers show up in Egypt to buy grain from their brother that they thought was a slave who is now in charge of all of Egypt. If I wrote the rest of this story, I think that those brothers would have a pretty sad future. If I wrote this story, right, or if you wrote this story, we'd be like, hey, I got some ideas I think we could do with those brothers, right? And I kind of think this is the essence here. I think this is the point. See, sometimes we read the scriptures and we don't understand what the author is trying to get us to feel when we read the story. When I read the story, I look and I say, man, I want to get these guys back. That's all I want to do. Now, here's what happens. Imagine their horror. Imagine these brothers as they look up and the one standing over them is Joseph with the ability to get his revenge. To say, you sold me into slavery, you think that's it, and now you come to me to buy grain? Let me tell you what's going to happen, right? So their brother's belief was that their only hope is, okay, well, our father's still living. You know, maybe, maybe because he knows that our father's living, everything's going to be cool. And so it seems like that's kind of how the story goes. But then their father dies. There is no buffer left between Joseph and his revenge for his brothers. There's nothing left there. And you can probably imagine this, right? You know, we sort of think that, okay, I can get this. I can, I can understand this. If, if I had this situation in my heart and my dad, you know, said, hey, don't do anything to them. You don't hurt your brothers. That's not the way we're going to do this kind of thing, right? You'd, okay, okay, I'm just going to chill. And then he dies. What's Joseph going to do? So listen what happens. I, I think this is so fascinating. We're going to go to chapter 50 now. So we started in 37. We're going to go to all the way to 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Which I love. Wait a minute. Dad's dead. What if Joseph decides to get us back and they're all thinking he probably will because, I mean, I would, right? This is their mentality. They're a vengeance type of people. These guys see the world in the way of vengeance and scarcity and thinking, okay, we're not in control anymore of the situation. Joseph's in control. What would we do if we were in control? We'd get our vengeance. So listen what they do, because this is what I think is is so powerful. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Now, wait a minute. You know, when I used to read this story, I thought, okay, the father left some instructions for them, right? Where's that at in the story? The father never left any instructions. These guys start making stuff. Can you believe that we get to this part in the story and these guys look at Joseph and they go, oh no, he could get revenge on us. Let's make up a story about our dead father so that he doesn't hurt us. These guys are awful. So they make this story up. They say, here's what your father said. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you, forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. 
Now please forgive the servants of the God of your father. I read this story, and all I want to do is reach into the pages. I want to grab each of the brothers by their little scrawny necks, and I just want to choke them, don't you? When you read that, and you're like, yes, you're like, these guys are terrible. This isn't fair. They shouldn't get away with this. I want to go, Joseph, you're being played. Don't you get it? Like, I'm, jo- I want to call him. I should be, Joseph, listen, man. Your brothers are playing you. They are awful. Don't listen to them. Right? It's like when you're watching a show, right? And you're like, don't open the door. That's what's happening here. But I want you to hear what happens because it's so incredibly powerful. His brothers then came, threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. Darn right you are. I want Joseph to go, yep, get ready, boys. Thirteen years. Listen what he does instead. <laughs> but Joseph said to them, don't, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So, then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Now, the people who are telling this story, they had a reason to tell us this story. Every family has some ugliness in the past, right? But the people telling the story, they're not simply revealing something ugly from the past. They're telling the story of their ancestors. They're they're revealing to their children what forgiveness looks like and why it matters. So I want to just, and I'm not going to take too long on this because we're going to talk about this over the next couple weeks. When the Israelite people went into exile, They began to write down their stories. This is where the scriptures come from. They had all of this oral tradition. They said, we need to write this down. We need to share this to help help people understand where do we come from? Who is God? Who are we? And, And God, in an incredible way, weaves all this story and brings inspiration into it so that it connects with our hearts in an incredibly powerful way. But as they're writing down their stories, they're deciding what... What stories are we telling about God? What kind of God is he? Who is he? What has he done for us? And what I think is so fascinating about this story is that they know that this story matters. See, without forgiveness, without forgiveness, this is where the story ends. Can you imagine the Bible could just simply end with Joseph going, okay, you're slaves, you're done, you're my slaves. Over. Story ends. But he doesn't. He forgives them. His forgiveness sets up the future. See, here's the reality of this. Our stories don't end with the pain that someone brought to our life. It is where our real story oftentimes begins. Do you get that? See, sometimes we, we tend to look at things and we tend to look at the way someone treated us and we think, this is where my story ends. How do I get past this place 
instead of recognizing, what if this is where my actual story begins? And what if it begins with forgiveness? So listen what happened, because I think this is so powerful. I think there's a, a pattern here, something we can learn from this. So Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If someone has harmed or hurt us or caused us pain, where the tables are turned, this is the place we want to be, right? I could bury this person, and I want them to know it. I could get my revenge, and that's, that's what I expect Joseph to say, to look at them, to have the sword in his hand now, and say, I am going to bury you. Have you ever been in a place where you have been so hurt by someone that all you could think was, if I ever get the upper hand, their life is going to be miserable. Am I the only one? <laughs> in, your dark, in your darkest spots of your life when you thought that, you could bury this person, right? And he doesn't, right? Don't be afraid. And then he says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now here's what he's saying. Punishment could be appropriate, right? But he says, I'm going to leave that to God. I'm going to put that in God's hands. He says, it's not my responsibility to make up for what happened. That's God's responsibility. It's the responsibility of the systems that have put in place. This is why we should desire, guys, that our systems that we create in our, our society, that they provide restorative justice. Now, that's a sermon for another day. I'm not going to get too far into that. But the reality is we are not the judge. We are not the executor. We shouldn't look and say, all I want to do is bury that person. Joseph sees it in such a different way. He says, it's not my responsibility. It's God's responsibility to punish you. And then he goes on. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, I want to be really clear about this because I think this matters. And I, and I wrote this down very specifically. Joseph didn't minimize what his brothers did to him. Forgiveness, and hear this, forgiveness is capable of acknowledging that what was done was wrong. Forgiveness for us isn't a call to forget. See, sometimes I think that we put our place, again, where God's place is. Scripture tells us that God is a God who forgets. That's not called on us. This isn't just forgive it, forget it, let it go. There's no pain. It doesn't matter. No, he says, you intended to harm me. He calls it out. He's willing to say what you did was wrong. But forgiveness is a call to renounce revenge. So I remember what you did. I remember how it hurt. But despite that, I believe that, what God, that God will take what you did and that he will work it for good. Now, let me be really clear on this because this matters. And then I'm going to tell you something really, really cool here. I don't believe that God is responsible for that pain. God is not the creator of that pain. What we find in the text here is that Joseph is saying, look, my brothers, they caused me harm. You caused me pain. You hurt me. But what you intended, God intended for good. Now, that word is kind of weird, intended. 
In other translations, it's the word mean. And so we have this tendency then to place that pain in God's hands and say, well, God created this in such a way that it would, that we would come good out of it, right? So maybe he meant for that to happen. Maybe he wanted this to happen. But I want to tell you what's really cool here. The word for intended is from the root word weave. Weave. So what it really is saying is he's looking at his brothers and he goes, this story that you thought you were going to weave into a story of evil, nuh-uh. God is going to weave it into a story of good. I'm not going to let you own the future of my life anymore. I forgive you. God's got it from here. And God is going to take the strands that you have left here that are pain and hurt and frustration and anger and all of these things that I could weave into a story of vengeance. I'm giving it up. I'm going to give it to God. And I'm going to let him take it. And he's going to take those strands. And he is going to weave those into good. It is so powerful to let go of that hurt. There is nothing wrong with saying, I've been hurt. You hurt me. You don't get my future. I trust in God that whatever punishment is due you, That'll figure itself out. But for me, you don't get my future. I trust that God is going to take all those loose ends and he is going to weave it in a story that I nor you could ever possibly imagine. How cool is that? How incredibly powerful is this? Now, the follower of Jesus named Paul, writing to one of the first churches, he picked up on this. And maybe you've heard this scripture before. It's Romans 8.28. He says, and we know that in all things, God works. Oh, no, that's coffee. God will work that for good, I promise. <laughs> and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Have you ever heard that verse before? Now I want you to hear it through the eyes of Paul, who knows the story about Joseph, who knows the understanding of this word intended as the word weave. And then listen to what Paul is trying to tell the first century Christians. Through the first century Christians, what he is trying to tell us, he says, listen, we know, we know, we have faith, we believe that all things, all things, every single thing, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose, that he is going to weave a tapestry and a story from all of your pain in ways that you could never begin to imagine. But it has to start with dropping the vengeance and picking up forgiveness. Forgiveness is not allowing people to hurt us over and over again. Forgiveness is not sweeping away the pain and forgetting the hurt. Forgiveness is not allowing someone else's sin to own you. Forgiveness is trusting God with our pain, trusting God with the person who caused us pain, and trusting God with the ability to redeem all things, to work together for good when it seems impossible to see anything else. 
Now, here's what I want to really be careful about. It is so easy to read the story of Joseph and to just simply go, okay, I just need to be like Joseph. If I just try harder to be like Joseph, maybe I'll get this all figured out and I'll figure out how, how to you know, not allow other people's pain to hurt me. Maybe I can just be like Joseph. And I'll just have the four steps, you know, written down somewhere. And somebody hurts me, I'll pull out my wallet, I'll look at a card, and I'll say, wait a second, before I react, let me read my Joseph card. And see, the problem is, though, I think, is that I don't think that is the intention of the story. The story, to me, says it's a bigger situation than this. I don't think we're simply called to emulate Joseph. I think we're called to not be his brothers, See, his brothers are obsessed with control. They look and said, okay, now that Joseph's in control, what is he going to do to us? Well, how can we get back in control? Well, let's use our dad's death as a way to do this, right? We have a tendency to worry more about our own control. How can I own this situation? And by the time we, we're, we're, we're that far along, forgiveness is out the window. It's just gone. So what do we do? How do we manage this? What what are we supposed to do with this? We started planning for the series. One of the first things that I did was we designed the artwork. And as we designed the artwork for the series, I, I couldn't get something out of my head. It was the final days of the life of Jesus. And so we have this, this picture, and actually it's kind of hard to see on this one, I'm sorry. But if you look at the artwork on our website, and if you look at some of the artwork we have on Facebook, you'll see that Jesus is here on the right-hand side. It really is bad. It's really hard to see. <laughs> but it's him crucified, still on the cross. Listen to this final moment from Jesus' life. When they came to the place called Skull, they crucified Jesus there, along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And I tried to imagine that moment as Jesus hung on that cross, being brutally murdered like the criminals around him, looking down on those who followed him, who betrayed him, those who crucified him. The scriptures tell us and invite us to imagine Jesus miraculously taking him off that cross. Well, Jesus, you know, just pull yourself off the cross. Call an army. Get vengeance on those people who've placed you here, right? But instead, just like this artwork for the series, he remained. He stayed there. He suffered. He died. And in those moments, as the crowd looks on, the words that Jesus say in that moment are, Father, forgive them. And the words are so powerful on their own until we realize the incredible reality that forgiveness is what Jesus commanded for us to do. See, without those stories, without those words, the story ends there as well. If Jesus simply says, okay, fine, I'm getting my vengeance, I'm coming off this cross, but he doesn't. He says, Father, forgive them. And every single one of us stands in this place, able to come before God because Jesus forgave in that moment.
we stand here recognizing I don't have to try harder to be like Joseph. But I need Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no way that I'm going to be able to forgive. And then he gives that prayer that we read earlier. The prayer that he taught his followers, a prayer that's supposed to be at the center of our lives. And he called us to forgive. And in the middle of that prayer, he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And here is what's so powerful about this. The story of Joseph and his brothers is all about control. Forgiveness is all about control. Our ability to drop the kingdoms that we create for ourselves is all about control. Now, Tim, I want you to put the Lord's Prayer back up on the screen this morning. Look at the words that he uses, that he says are at the center of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Look what he says in here is what it means to have your kingdom come and your will be done. He says, give us our daily bread. We need our daily bread. You supply every need that we have. We don't have to worry about our needs because you provide for us. I don't have to worry about controlling every single thing I have. I can trust that it's God's. Again, it's incredibly liberating to say I don't have to be responsible for every single thing in my life. I can trust in you. And then look what comes right after that. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But the two simple, basic pieces in that, do you see what they are? Two things. Our daily bread and forgiveness. Do you think Jesus recognized the two things that we would have the hardest time with? Do you think he recognizes the things that he says, if you don't weave these things into your story, if you don't allow me to work in your story, your story doesn't end the way I want it to end. He says, I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I want you to share in this life of what it looks like to worship and serve God. And he says, but to do that, you have to give up all this control. You have to give up control over your stuff, and you have to give up control over your vengeance. Be people who trust that everything's been provided to you, and be people of forgiveness. What would it look like for us to pray that prayer? So this morning, let's stand together. I want us to close with these these words. Again, a prayer, an acknowledgement that God is in control. I am not. And I need him to show me how to forgive. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory 
forever. Amen.